morning. Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. As the Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son. He is also 100% human, just like you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the sovereign God of the universe. He is the Savior of the whole world, and he is the Jewish Messiah. And those who make Barah Ministries their spiritual home are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. And as Christians, we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord, but not nearly as deep and intimate and personal as it will continue to become over time, especially in the eternal state. The Lord Jesus Christ is a person. He is not a thing. He is not a concept. Just as we do with any person we love, we spend time getting to know the Lord through the study of his word because you can't get to know the Lord without knowing his mind. And the Bible is his exact thinking. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 are one of the many places where the Bible talks about itself. Here's what it says. It says, know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. Nobody is making up Scripture. People talk about the Bible being a bunch of stories and a bunch of allegories and a bunch of guys sitting around in a smoke-filled room having coffee and smoking and talking about the Bible and writing it down. That is not what it is. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own private interpretation. Second Peter 2.21 And no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men, carried along by God the Holy Spirit, spoke directly from the exact thinking of the God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The God the Holy Spirit dictated to each of the people what they were to write without affecting their will, their personality, and the thing I left out last week, their literary style. And so when you study the Bible from its original languages, you see vastly different literary styles, but you see the exact same thing, which is these men and women, in the case where women have written, writing down exactly what the, what the Holy Spirit is dictating, and what the Holy Spirit is dictating is the exact thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at a time when we need truth more than ever, The Bible is proving itself to be the voice of truth. And there is nothing we need more right now than the comfort provided from the truth of the Word of God. Barah Ministries makes a difference by teaching the Word of God from the Lord Jesus Christ's perspective and not from man's perspective. We search the Scriptures to learn who the Lord is as a person and to learn what our God has to say about himself, about his plan for all mankind, and he certainly has one, and it's not a concept. You know, people say, well, God's got a plan. Well, God's got a plan. He absolutely has a plan, and it is so intricate. The hairs on your head are numbered. He knows everything about you. He always has, and he always will, and so that plan is very intricate, and the plan is also very personal. He has a personal path for each one of us. And if we could really hold that thought in our minds 
and could really understand exactly what that means, it would stagger our imagination that, that the supreme being of the universe has all of us in mind personally and simultaneously and knows the path that he has laid out for each one of us. So we are here to look at our lives from his perspective. We are not counting on people's perspective. We are here to learn how to enjoy the sphere of grace, the sphere of forgiveness, the sphere of unconditional love in which we, as believers in Christ, stand, especially in the midst of the complete chaos that is engulfing the world right now. Welcome to a place of peace. Today's Bible lesson, is it the end of the world as we know it? Is it the end of the world as we know it? If it is the end of the world as we know it, I feel fine. So friends have teased me over the years for being religious, which is what people, the only thing people know to call you when you go to church. We all know as believers in Christ that religion is Satan's system and it's designed to make you indifferent or antagonistic to God and it works like a charm. So I am not religious, but that's what my friends tease me and call me. They've also teased me for being a pastor, and so I am. Yet in crisis, there is no teasing. These same friends are wondering if this is the end of the world. And in today's lesson, we'll overview the divine sequence of history and remind ourselves where we are in the progression of God's plan for mankind. So let's hear some music. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul gives us the antidote for the crisis. He says, I, Paul, have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I, Paul, have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. We can relax in a crisis because of Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8, which says the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. So do not fear or be dismayed. We have a God that we can count on all the time, but especially a wartime God, especially a God in times of crisis. And as you put one foot in front of the other in these days of uncertainty, here's hoping that you can think what June Murphy is about to sing. It is well with my soul. Because God has got you. When peace like a river attended my way when sorrows like sea billows roll
Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the word of God. Father, thank you for upholding us with your righteous right hand as we desperately long to know what the future holds for us. Thank you for being an ever-present help 
in times of trouble. Thank you for the comfort of the word which soothes our souls, even if only for the minutes when we're listening to it. Father, bring to our minds regularly the suffering of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to reflect on the hostility he endured on our behalf at the cross. Keep us from fainting in our souls. Help us not to lose heart as we endure with perseverance the trials you have placed before us right now. And let these trials have your intended effect, that we learn perseverance and proven character and hope. And that most of all, we learn to count on you and not to lean on our own understanding. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, Is It the End of the World as We Know It? Is it the end of the world as we know it? Make no mistake about it. The world as we know it will end. The world as we know it will end. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5 tell us all about it. Here's what it says. Then I, the Apostle John, author of the book of Revelation, saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away. The first heaven and the first earth will be completely destroyed in the future by God. This place we live will be completely destroyed. So the new heaven and the new earth is not going to be a renovation project. It's going to be brand new. And we don't hear much about what that earth is going to be like, but we hear one thing at the end of Revelation 21.1. It says this, and there is no longer any sea in the new heaven and the new earth. Today's earth is covered by water. About 70% of the earth is covered by water. The new heaven and the new earth will have no sea. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned, which means beautifully dressed, for her husband is made ready. The new Jerusalem will be made ready as a bride adorned for her husband is made ready. Revelation 21.3, And I, John, heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God the Father himself will be among them. This God the Father that we don't see will be among us in the future, in that new earth and the new heavens. Revelation 21.4, And God the Father will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there is believers in Christ. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first thing, the old order of things, have passed away. They have died. Revelation 21.5, And he who sits on the throne, the Lord Jesus Christ, said, Behold, I am making all things new, not a renovation of old things. And he said to me, John, write, for these words are faithful and true. It's the truth, and you can count on it. Take it to the bank. The end is coming, but it's a long way off. So it is not the end of the world as we know it. Not right now. But the end of the earth is coming at a point. 
So we're pausing our study of the fourth passage of the Apostle Paul's first letter to, to a church he established in Corinth to give you an educational message about the state of the world from the biblical perspective so that when people are asking you, is this the end of the world, you don't have to embarrass your teacher and say, well, I don't know. All right, so now if, they, if somebody asks you, is this the end of the world, what are you going to tell them? Yeah. No. Yeah, you would. My son would tell him, yeah, because it's the end of his world. I'm going to kill him right after this lesson. And because I have said that, it's premeditated murder, but at 64 years old, do you care that you get 10 extra years? I really don't. There you go. All right, so there's a big part of us that wants to believe that what we see is what we get. There's a big part of us that wants to believe that what we see Is what we get. WYSIWYG. For example, in an intimate relationship, we'd like to believe that the other person is on our side. We don't want to believe that the other person is not on our side and that the other person has an intention to betray us. We want to believe that when a newscaster reports a story to us, that there has been quite a bit of objective research behind the scenes to ensure the accuracy of the story. That's how it used to be when I was in broadcasting. And if I, I was just thinking, when I was in graduate school and I was broadcasting on the educational station for Southern Illinois, if I had even thought about putting something on the air that I couldn't prove with three to five sources, I would have been run out of the state of Illinois. And this is by a student news director who allowed no goofing around when it came to the news, or sports for that matter. We don't want to believe that a group of people has been sitting in a room conjuring up a completely false story, a lie, that is designed both to deceive us and to scare us. We'd like to believe that the government we select has our best interest in mind. And we don't want to believe that there is a shadow government behind the scenes that is manipulating results to benefit themselves while simultaneously hurting us. We're naive. We're naive. And frankly, we prefer it. In relationships, there are divorces. People do betray each other. Some news stories are fabricated. We've heard of tabloids. Today our mainstream media is tabloid. We've caught reporters in lies. Government officials are found to be corrupt. We probably don't ever hear the depth of the corruption, but we hear just enough to know that corruption exists. We willingly go to casinos knowing that the odds are stacked so heavily against us that the chances of winning are almost non-existent. But we go anyway because we say, you never know, but we do know. We're naive because we would prefer to think that evil doesn't really exist in the world, yet it does. And the depth to which evil will sink cannot be underestimated. There are so many young women who have been molested by a family member while another family member completely ignores that this molestation went on because they don't want to look at it. 
yet one in three women under the age of 18 in the United States have been molested by a family member while other family members completely ignore it. Do you hear me? This is how naive we are. We're so naive that we're even willing to let our children be taken advantage of just so we don't have to look at the truth. Evil does exist in the world. And the depth to which evil will sink cannot be underestimated. And frankly, we don't want to hear these kind of things from anyone, much less a pastor, because it forces us to look at the truth about our personal life experiences. See, you don't want to hear about molestation. You don't want to hear about that. You don't want to hear about uh, sex slavery. You don't want to believe that that's even possible, and you don't want to believe that it's possible in your neighborhood. You don't want to read the police blotters about the crime that goes on next door to you in your very neighborhood, but it does. See, this is how naive we are. We prefer the fantasies we create, and we let them anesthetize us from the reality that exists. When someone introduces a possibility that is a bit too real, we call it a conspiracy theory. If you suggested that there is a shadow government that is manipulating this whole situation that we're in, that's a conspiracy theory. Why? Because we're naive. We don't want to believe it. But then we see that there's a group that's been meeting since 1952, and the meetings started at the Bilderberg Hotel, so they call it the Bilderberg Group. And this group has, been, has had one goal in their whole existence, and that's to create one world government. And that will occur in the future. There will be one world government. There will be one world religion. There will be one world currency. And you can't even conceive of it that the Muslims and the Catholics and the Jews could come together under the roof of one religion. You can't even conceive of that. Yet it's exactly what will happen. How do we know? Because we have the best history book in the history of mankind, which is the book of Revelation, which predicts the future. And there is nothing in the Bible that is a lie. And there never has been a lie. There are a lot of human beings who interpret the Bible incorrectly and are lying, distorting it, which in itself, should give you a really good idea that if, 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 why is it that if you mention God to somebody, there's no big deal? I mean, the atheist may give you a little trouble. The, the, the uh, agnostic may give you a little trouble. The agnostic says, well, I don't think the mysteries of God can be known. And the atheist says, there is no God. So they may give you a little trouble, but they're such a small group. They don't give you a lot of trouble. So if you mention the word God, most people are just, yeah, whatever, man, God. You put that sign behind your head, Jesus Christ is God, you got a fight on your hands. Why is that? Does that even register to you as an unusual thing? That people have heard of this Jesus Christ all over the world, and I've traveled the world. I've taught in 30 countries. I've mentioned the name of Jesus Christ in 30 countries, and the reaction is always the same. 
a violent reaction to it. Or an outright rejection of it by someone. No matter what they know about God. And then the Bible, which calls itself the truth, which is not subject to interpretation. Everybody starts speculating about it. Well, I don't think all of the books got in the Bible. I mean, what about the Gospel of Judas? And what about the Gospel of Thomas? Well, what about them is they're not canonical. Because for a a book to get in the Bible, it has to pass about 67 tests that were created by an unbeliever. And those books don't pass the test. As a matter of fact, you can't get past the first five pages before they flunk the test. Oh, well, you know, I don't know. I mean, that book was written so long ago. Oh, so books written a long time ago don't have any value? How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie was written in 1939. It's the best book ever written on sales that isn't a book on sales. And the principles, the 30 principles about how to get along with people in there are absolutely as relevant today as when he wrote them. But the examples may be a little old. People don't like it. I don't care. Still works. It's beautiful. So we're we're just quick to dismiss stuff. Well, human history was created by God to resolve a prehistoric conflict between the Lord, God the Son, and his bodyguard, formerly known as the anointed cherub who covers in Ezekiel chapter twenty eight, verse fourteen now known as the devil and Satan and the enemy of God among his many functional titles. The prince of the power of the air. There are many. This is not a theory. We don't just come together to study the Bible when we get together here at Barah Ministries. We come to learn about this hidden warfare that is occurring in the spiritual realm. Why? Because the very same warfare is playing out in our own lives every moment of every day. Your soul and God is a conflict. Married couples are in a conflict. Parents and their children are in a conflict. Governors, go- government and citizens are in a conflict. There are four classrooms that teach us this creator create the this creator creature conflict and it's in our these things are in our lives every day maybe uh, in some cases all four of them if you're married with kids all four of those in play all four of those classrooms are in play in your life for real and you look at these situations you're in and you scratch your head you think why is that happening Why is this going on? Why is it that you marry somebody and they act like you hung the moon and then as soon as the I do's are said, everything changes? Why is that? I'll tell you why it is. Because before you get married, the two are two flesh. And the minute you get married, the two are one flesh. And one flesh, unity is attacked by the enemy of God. That's why. And you hear everybody who was living together before they got married, every one of them, they say the same thing. As soon as we got married, something changed. But they don't think about what it is that changed because they're not here 
learning what the Bible says about why it changed. The two became one flesh. And what God put together, let no one pull asunder. But what happens? That very thing, these, these, these unities are pulled asunder. How? By Satan. Because if, if we were living God's way, it would be unconditional love for the other person. And so if they screwed something up, you, you just say unconditional love, just like God does with you. You screw up every single day, and what does God say? Get up and go. Come on. He doesn't say, oh, my goodness, I'm not, I, forget it, I'm not talking to you. I'm not even talking to you. You know why he doesn't do that? Because nobody would want to worship a God like that. And especially not me. And nobody wants to be in a relationship with anybody who's like that either. Yeah, there's something going on behind the scenes. There is. And human history was created to resolve it. Well, one day, the entire truth will come to light in a way that we can't ignore it. But for now, we'll just have to take God's word for it that this spiritual warfare exists and it is a very present part of our lives. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12 give us a hint concerning the spiritual warfare we are part of. Here's what it says. Finally, then finally is the conclusion of six of the most amazing chapters in the history of mankind written, the book of Ephesians. Finally. Be strong in union with the Lord and in the strength of his might. Dunamis Sphaia, the sphere of his divine power, his divine power which overcomes all resistance. Ephesians 6.11, pick up and put on the full armor of God, the panoply of divine resources. I love that word, panoply the multifaceted resources of God, all at your disposal every single minute of every single day. You, as a believer in Christ, have a panoply of resources available to you. Pick up and put on the full armor of God. This is Paul in a prison watching Roman guards every day get up and put on their armor. And he uses this as the analogy. Pick up and put on the full armor of God in this spiritual warfare so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. We don't have to attack the devil. The devil is attacking us. And why? Because we already have the victory and what he wants, he knows he can't change that. But what he wants you to do is to be deceived into believing that you don't have the victory. He wants you to get off of your victorious ground and act like you've been victimized. And the most cooperative people in his scheme are Christians. We love acting like victims. And we hate using the resources, the spiritual resources that we have to defeat all of the resistance that's coming our way. We are here to arm ourselves with truth so that we can withstand the spiritual battle effectively. Because without the armor of God's truth, 
we will be deceived just as we prefer. We prefer being deceived. We prefer being naive. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not in the human realm, a realm that is seen. Our struggle is against the demon rulers and against the powers and against the dark forces of the world, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, in the heavenly places, in the unseen realm. Our, our warfare is not against the seen realm. It's against the unseen realm, that part that we don't want to look at. And the Bible informs us that there is a creator-creature conflict playing out. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says this, Unbelievers exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the, cre- the creature, Satan, rather than the creator, the Lord, God the Son, the one who is blessed forever. Amen? This conflict plays out during a series of divine time periods. The Lord's apostles were obsessed with learning about these time periods. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 say this, So when they had come together, the apostles were asking Jesus, saying, Lord, is this the time? that you are restoring your king, the kingdom to Israel? They knew scripture. Acts 1-7, Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times, it is not for you to know the chronology, or the epochs, the divine eras, which God the Father has fixed by his own authority. The Lord was telling the apostles, do not obsess about how and when the time periods would unfold. He was not telling them, by the way, they did it anyway. Of course, you tell them not to obsess, what do they do? They obsess. But he wasn't telling them not to learn. He was always teaching them about the time periods to keep them aware of the big picture. And if they didn't know about the time periods and this this idea that the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel, if they didn't know that, if they were wrong about that, he would have said something to them. But they were right about it. The Lord wanted them to zoom out from obsession and to stay aware of the big picture. And as a pastor, I regularly zoom you in to the human problems in a place like Corinth, for example, as we study 1 Corinthians. Yet, I don't want you to ever forget the big picture, the unseen warfare you are part of that is raging in the heavenly places. Two hours a week is hardly enough time to keep you tuned in to the context of the spiritual life. But let's take a look at the chronology of divine history so that we know the end of the world is not imminent. This is a subject that takes years to teach, so we realize we are just taking a high-level look at the chronology. Now, this is where the, the slide is supposed to be. Uh, for the, the, the several pieces, so we don't have it right now. So we'll show it to you when we get back. But there are seven stages in the divine plan for mankind. Do we have it, for, do, is it somewhere further on in here? Okay, I'm going to move it up then to that so they can see it, huh? Oh, man, I'm going, there, there we go. All right, so we'll, we'll just do this. 
All right, so there's seven stages of the divine plan for mankind. Put that slide up if you would. All right, so the first age is called the age of the Gentiles. And that extends from the creation of Adam to Moses and the Exodus, when Moses went and took the Jews out of Egypt. It includes Abraham and the Jewish race, and a series of promises made to Abraham by God that absolutely will come true. The next age is the age of Israel. It's a 490-year period extending from Moses and the Exodus to the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It includes the formation of the Jewish nation and the revelation of the Mosaic law. And this age is paused after 483 years when the Lord, God the Son, becomes flesh and tabernacles among us. Next is the age of the hypostatic union, hypostasis, God and man in one person forever. And it extends from the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ to Pentecost, 50 days after the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. It is commonly known as the Incarnation, the 33 years when the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, lived on the earth. The church age, also known as the age of the Gentiles and the age of grace, is the age that we live in right this moment. And it extends from Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection from the dead, to the rapture, which is the next event in divine history. The next event in divine history is the rapture of the church, the exit resurrection of church-age believers. The rapture is the time when all believers in Christ will be plucked off the earth by God. Now, one of the reasons they're plucked off the earth by God is because Satan contends that the reason that he cannot run his kingdom successfully is because believers in Christ are always interfering with what he's trying to do with their goody-two-shoes routine. So God gives him a chance to prove his boast. God gives him a chance to create a utopia, a perfect society. And so to do that, God takes all believers in Christ off the earth. That is the next, the next big thing in divine history. Now, that may happen in your lifetime and it may not. Paul thought it was imminent, coming up. And he thought it was going to happen in his lifetime. It did not. But it may be happening in our lifetime because it was predicted to happen one generation in time after Israel became a state. And Israel became a state in 1948. And a generation is typically 70 to 120 years. 70 years from 1948 is 2018. So we may be hearing the rumblings of the rapture. But this is not something to obsess about. You want to. You want to go obsess about it. That's not what we're to do. We're just to understand that there is a big picture here. So there is a period of time left in the church age. It will end at the rapture, but we don't know how many years, days, or minutes are left in the church age. But after this age is over, the world as we know it has at least 1,007 years remaining, according to the Bible. 
So the end of the world is coming, but it's a long way off. The tribulation is next. The tribulation is a seven-year period that is the completion of the age of Israel. So you see that the age of Israel is red and the tribulation is red on our chart, if you're watching. And that's because... The age of Israel was, the, 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 the Jews were promised 490 years of evangelism. They have completed 483 of them. Then they were set aside for a period of time when Christ came to the earth. And then the church age was dropped in. But God always keeps his promises and they have seven years left to finish the age of the tribulation. It is the worst period of time in human history. There is nobody that would ever want to be on the earth when this period comes. If you are a believer in Christ, you will not experience that period. Just to give you an insight into one thing that happens in that period, there are 200 million demon angels in a place under the earth called the abyss, and they're going to be released onto the earth to attack human beings for five months. And their sting is like a scorpion. And it's going to be a last-ditch effort by God to get unbelievers to believe in Christ. You do not want to be around when that happens. So if you aren't a believer in Christ, if you've been coming to Barah Ministries on a regular basis and just rope-a-doping and not really interested in being a believer in Christ, you better make sure you are. You better make sure your family members are and ask them. This is a perfect time to ask them. But we're not going to obsess about this time. Right? Deacon Denny is leaving all I feel fine because I won't be around during the tribulation. The worst period of time in human history. And then finally, the millennium. The millennium is the thousand-year period where the Lord Jesus Christ will reign on the earth in person. The millennial reign of Christ extends from the second coming of Christ to the last judgment. Now, when we return from our five-minute break, you know, after the millennium, by the way, is the eternal state. So when we return from our five-minute break, we'll take your offering and then we'll get a a bit of biblical proof concerning one of these time periods. Take a five-minute break. Say again. Who does? Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. My life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but Jesus. 
Welcome back to today's Bible lesson. Is it the end of the world as we know it? Is it the end of the world as we know it? Well, on Friday, I had the pleasure of giving the gospel message to a new friend, a young man who has been in my life for about a year. And he returned the gift by listening intently, attentively. He wasn't resisting. He was just listening, asking questions, taking the gospel message in, and storing it so that he could make a decision about it. The gift of listening is the gift of intimacy. And I don't think that in all my years of evangelizing, I have felt as good about evangelizing to somebody as I felt about evangelizing to him. Now, when you give to Barah Ministries, you make it possible for us to give the gift of the gospel message to people all over the world through the magic of the Internet. And especially now, people are listening attentively. Thank you for supporting this ministry with your generosity. Please pass along the gift of listening to those who are near you right now. It's an intimate thing to do. And keep on giving generously. Your unselfish giving is a reflection of our God, and it gives people around the world a chance to respond intimately to a life-giving message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with the offering message. Good morning. morning. My name is Denny Goodall and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries, which is a worldwide Christian church. And Barah Ministries is a place where real people come to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And it's especially what we need in these dark times. We need the light. And that's really what we are as Christians. We're the light of the world. And this is, it's interesting because a lot of times in these times I, I feel like it's a fight or flight syndrome situation where we're kind of cornered. We're all cornered, right? And we either fight or we have flight. And I, I think it's, it's different now because it's either we have fear we actually have faith or we have fear. Are we going to stand and fight because we have our faith? And so I've been talking about fear, but I think the Christians should be talking about faith. And we've really been prepared for this. And I, I, we've kind of been waiting for this kind of situation to happen. You know, we've, we've been set up. We were, we're ambassadors. We're priests. We're holy. We are truly the light in these dark times. And it's our chance to use these things we've been taught. And what a great opportunity only God could, could give us this kind of opportunity. Bring the whole world together in one fight. And it's kind of the thing where they're probably trying to work into a one world government, but it's our opportunity now since it's such a uniting aspect. Denise told us, told us, sent an email about standing in line at Costco and striking up conversation because we're all together in this. It's so easy to break conversation right now. This is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about these things. And, you know, we're prepared and we're one of the ones that can see the good out of the bad in everything, in every situation, whether it's our own or this global, this global catastrophe that we're dealing with. And we can see in First Thess- Thessalonians chapter 5, 8 through 9, which is a book basically written, one of the only books that talks about the rapture, which is pretty interesting to think about right now. So pastor said, don't go reading a bunch of stuff and get infatuated with it, but you should read the Thessalonians because it's about the rapture. <laughs> But truly, I mean, it gives us a, a you know, this is, you know, we talk about the, God never leaves us. He's always with us. But we have more than that. We see in First Thessalonians chapter 5, 8 and 9 
But since we are of the day, we are the light. Let us be sober, because we are examples for everybody else. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. We have faith, love, and salvation. So what do we have to worry about, right? So we can be sober, we can be calm. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for attaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what's the most important thing in life? Salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And what a great opportunity for this to be brought up right now in every situation. And we're also prepared because we have an app. No contact, right? I don't have to touch you. You just, you just get that app on your phone. We don't have to touch this dirty book. It's been in my truck for three weeks. You can just have their app on your phone and look through it. And it's just a great opportunity because we know as we're going through life that what we have and what pastor has told us, everything we have, what the Bible tells us we have. I shouldn't say pastor because it's the word of God. And we also know that we have the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. And it's truly an amazing thing. I think we're set that way. And, you know, when we see the good out of the bad, we can see, you know, like, what about traffic? Who doesn't love traffic right now? I'm out at in every day, and I don't even use my turn signals anymore. I'm just driving like, ooh. It's lots of fun. And, you know, and you, you also see the good out of the bad is just this, the fact that the world is trying to unite for one world government, but we're seeing it unite, and we can use that same thing. We can use it for our own advantage right now. Let's not waste catastrophe and let people know about their own opportunity for salvation. Let's give the gospel when we can. It's so easy. It's so simple. And this is the perfect time to do it. Um, you know, rather than worrying about toilet paper, let's worry about salvation. And I think, you know, when we come together at the offering, this is your chance to have faith. You know, is it, is it a flight, fight or flight? Are you going to stand and fight and give at the offering? Or are you going to run from the offering? We're not cornering you. This is something we don't want anybody to give because they feel like they have to give. They want to give. Just like in a good relationship, you don't feel like you have to give to them. You just give to them because you love them. You give all the time. It's one way. You just keep giving and giving and giving. It's not like, let me give to Barah, and then what does Barah give back to me? It's, God is always going to replenish it, and it's so much bigger than just us. It's always about others, and it's about letting others know about Christ and that they have the breastplate of faith and love and helmet of salvation that can be theirs as well. So thank you for always giving it the offering, and thank you, Pastor, for standing strong in this and helping guide us through this because it's really easy to fall apart. And without the truth in our soul and without a man that loves us and gives us guidance, it would be really tough right now. So thank you very much.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson is at the end of the world as we know it. Is it the end of the world as we know it? Well, let's hear some music. As believers in Christ, we are in the world, which is Satan's kingdom, but we are not of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. In John chapter 16, verses 32 and 33, the Lord says on the night before he is crucified, Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you apostles to be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me, the Lord Jesus Christ, all alone. Boy, that sounds familiar, that they'll all be scattered to their own homes. And yet I am not alone. Because God the Father is with me. John sixteen thirty three, These things I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have spoken to you, so that in union with me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. In one name we believers in Christ have love and joy and hope and victory. Here's Jesus' culture to remind us this unconditional love has a name. What name? Let's listen.
Today's Bible lesson, it's, is it the end of the world as we know it? Is it the end of the world as we know it? The end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. I feel fine because it's not the end of the world as we know it. We found out in the first part of the lesson today that the world has... 1,007 years minimum left, plus whatever it takes to end this particular age. So there are seven stages of the divine plan for mankind, and each stage begins and ends with a miracle. Each stage begins and ends with a miracle. So we showed you what those stages are, the age of the Gentiles, the age of Israel, the age of the hypostatic union, the 33 years when Jesus Christ is on the earth, the church age, which is the current age, we're right in the middle of divine history, maybe not timing-wise, but uh, in sequence and stage-wise. Then after this age, the age of the tribulation, right after the rapture of the church, then the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ on the earth, and then the eternal state, that part where... Uh, we all live forever and ever and ever. The soul once born never dies. But you get to choose where your soul spends eternity. And there are only two places that it can spend eternity. It can spend eternity absent from this body and face-to-face with the Lord. Or it can spend eternity in the lake of fire. And there is no, no gray about it. There is no purgatory about it. There is... Lake of fire or heaven, you've got two choices, and the choice is yours. Well, the church age, depicted in green in the middle of the slide, is also known as the age of the Gentiles and the age of grace. And it extends from Pentecost. Penta is the Latin word for five. It extends from Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to the rapture, which is the exit resurrection of the church. The exit resurrection of the church, all believers in Christ will be plucked off the earth. This would be a perfect time for that to happen, too, because it could be explained away very easily. In other news, several people seem to just disappear from the earth, leaving their clothes behind. And uh, these are people who had the coronavirus, and so we are very happy that they are no longer here on the earth to infect people. So we'll probably have a cure after this. It'll be easily explained away why we disappeared. And it will not be explained away that we were raptured by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is a period of time left in the church age. And that's an indeterminate period of time. We don't know how long that period of time is. But after this period is over, the world as we know it has at least 1,007 years remaining, according to the Bible. The tribulation period, the millennium, the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth, and then the end of the world is coming. There will be a new earth and a new universe, but it's quite a long way off. The church age is the era that happens immediately after the cross. It is the current age. And what the Lord is communicating to us with the church age 
is that he was willing to do more for us after the fall of mankind than he did for us before the fall of mankind. So what do you as a human being do when somebody fails you? You berate them. You treat them like dirt. You don't treat them with compassion. You don't give them more love afterward. You treat them like dirt. Right? That's not how God works. Isn't it amazing that how we do things and how God does things are exactly the opposite? Because as Christians, what he wants us to do when somebody makes a mistake is to forgive. He doesn't want us rubbing their nose in crap all the time. And I've been in relationships in my life where you do something today, and then five years from now, they're still talking about it. It's like, when does it end? When does it end? There's no forgiveness in that heart. That's human beings. Oh, you remember that time, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what I did yesterday. As a matter of fact, what is my name? I don't even remember my name. And you're bringing up stuff that happened five years ago. When I got divorced for the first time, you know, one of the things that came up was something that I did 18 years before. You can't possibly remember with any detail what happened 18 years before. You can remember what you emotionalized. You can remember what you made up as you added to the story along the way. And it always keeps getting better and better and better in your favor. But you don't remember what actually happened or what the circumstances were of that moment. This isn't the way God wants us to act with each other. And so the church age is the illustration of that. What did he do when we fell? What did we do to fall? He said, all the trees of this beautiful garden, every one of them, from any one of them, you can eat freely. But the one in the middle, don't eat from that. Or dying, you will die. You'll die spiritually and then you'll die physically. So don't eat, eat from that. That one's not good for you. Everything else. Just fine. And then what did Adam and the woman do? They ate from the tree in the middle. And what did God do? He forgave them. He didn't say, oh, I'm not talking to you. You remember that tree? (sighs) Go to the cross for you? For that? Never. He didn't do that. Because if he had done that, we'd all be going to the lake of fire. That's not how God works, and it's not how he wants us to work. So the church age is the demonstration of that, that he was willing to do more for us after we fell than he did before we fell, and he did so much for us before, we, before he fell. It's not even funny. Before we fell. The cross changed everything. The magic of the cross is the magic of the church age, and that's what Christ does for us during this age. Colossians chapter 1 verses 24 to 27 say this. Now I, Paul, rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do my share of suffering on behalf of his body, which is the church. The body of Christ is the church age believers. In filling up what is lacking in service and illuminating Christ's afflictions. That's what Paul does. Colossians 1.25. Of this church, I was made a minister, a pastor, a preacher, 
according to the dispensation from God the Father that was bestowed on me for your benefit. The church age was a drop-in into human history so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God, Colossians 1.26. That is the revelation of the mystery. And the mystery in this case is something previously concealed and now revealed, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations. Moses wanted to know exactly what was coming next, and the Lord would not tell him. He said, mind your own business. It's not for you to know the times or the epochs which I have fixed for my own authority. So, but now has been manifested, made clearly visible in the church age saints. Colossians 1.27, to whom God the Father willed to make known what are the glorious uh, riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ indwelling you. The hope of glory, the absolute confidence of your future glorification. You know, I'm standing up here looking at you guys, and a lot of you are kind of dozing off, kind of sleeping during the, during the lesson. You know why? You're tired. You know why you're tired? Because you're worried. You know why you're worried? Because you don't have the confidence in this biblical stuff that you're learning. You're worried about what is going on in the world. There's no need for you to worry. You already have the victory. You should be sleeping like a baby during this period. You should be enjoying this vacation, knowing that no matter what happens, God's going to take care of you. I can remember a couple of years ago, I was out of customers. I had no customers. I had no business. You know what I did? I went on vacation. You know why? Because I knew exactly what was going to happen next. I knew I didn't have anything to worry about. I knew exactly what God was going to do. He promised in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, that we were more important, I was more important to him than a bird. And look at the birds. They get up every day. They don't know what's coming off. And what's coming off? Food. I went out of my yard the other day. I went out of my yard the other day. A big old crow was sitting on top of my fountain and the water's popping up out of the fountain. He's sit, sitting there drinking. And I said, hey, what are you doing over here? He looked around at me. It completely ignored me, went right back to drinking his water. He didn't even say thanks for the fountain. But I guarantee you, when he woke up that morning, he wasn't thinking that there was a fountain somewhere that he was going to be able to get water from. He wasn't worried about it. You are. You are. He slept like a bird. You don't. You worry. I'm not worried. I already told you I got seven room offers, my Bible, and three outfits. I'm not worried. You should worry because one of y'all is going to be housing me. And it's a hint. Here's the hint. If you live in a really warm place, the chances of you getting me are really, really high. Amen? You Phoenix people better be worried. You people up in New York, you know, Joel Prokoski and Deanna said, yeah, we got a room for you. No, uh-uh. you got two kids and snow. Brother ain't trying to go up there. Amen? I ain't trying to go over there. The California people, you don't have to worry. I ain't coming over there and pay triple taxes. Nope. 
You Phoenix people better worry. I'm not worried. <laughs> Look, by indwelling his believers, the Lord made it possible for us to never fall again. By indwelling his believers, the Lord made it possible for us to never fall again. When you became a believer in Christ, here's what happened. You were placed in the union with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit. You cannot get out. And what you love doing, you sheep, is you love wandering off and getting stuck in the briar bush over by the cliff. You love it. But you can never fall off the cliff because the Lord is the one who holds your hand. He will not allow you to be hurled headlong. So what exactly are you worried about that's keeping you up at night? Go to bed. Let me stay up and toil and write these lessons for you and sweat all day on Saturday. And then come and teach with passion on Sundays so that I'm so tired I want to faint when I leave here. I don't even know how I get home. Amen? Amen? I said amen. <laughs> Look, the Lord made it possible for us to never fall again, and that is unspeakably amazing, and it is a power beyond our wildest dreams that in spite our best effort to the contrary, we cannot screw up our eternal future. Amen? Amen. The church age begins at Pentecost, and the miracle of Pentecost is the descent of God the Holy Spirit on all believers as promised by the Lord in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, which says this, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with God the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Pentecostals among us are getting so excited and sweating and raising their hand above their head. Yes, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit is on us, and I'm speaking in tongues. No, tongues are no longer a valid thing. But back then, tongues of fire rained down during Pentecost to indicate that the Holy Spirit was upon us. The church age ends with the rapture, the exit resurrection of church age believers. First Thessalonians, church age believers, we're the first group to be resurrected from the dead. Isn't that awesome? Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 and 17 say this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Where in heaven? From his seat at the right hand of God the Father. He will descend from heaven with a shout. And along with the voice of the archangel, Michael, and with the trumpet of God, Gabriel, and the dead church-age believers in union with Christ will rise first. They will be resurrected from the dead first. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then we believers in Christ who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up. The Greek word rapturo, that's where we get rapture from. The Greek word rapturo will be caught up together with the dead church age believers in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord from that point on face to face with the Lord in the clouds distinguishes the rapture from the second coming of Christ In the second coming of Christ. The Lord's feet will touch down on the earth and we as church age believers will come with him and we will witness him slaughtering 
every unbeliever on the earth because those unbelievers are trying to kill the Jews. And that will never happen. Nobody will ever be successful against the Jews. Ever. They may hurt them, but they will not eliminate them. There is no way. There is no how. In the end of, is this the end of the world as we know it? No, it isn't. There are at least 1,007 years left in human history. There it is. There is an eternity left in divine history, so relax. God has got you. In the chaos of this time, just don't forget that you're part of an intricate plan that is unfolding before your eyes. And none of this is a surprise to God, and he has made perfect provision for you to thrive. Did you hear that word? Say it with me. Thrive. Not survive. Thrive in abundance. Amen? During this tough time. So stop worrying in this period that seems to you to be uncertain. Because I'm certain that God has got you and that the abundance and the magnificence of his unconditional love for you will become clearer and clearer to you in the coming days. And until then, rest in his love and watch his love for you unfold. The closing moments of our lesson are for the benefit of anyone who doesn't have a personal relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. What does God want for you? Two things. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this. This is what's good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who desires all men to be saved and who desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. First and foremost, God wants you to be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 affirms his intentions for you. The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient towards you unbelievers, not wishing for any of you to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of you to come to repentance, which is a change of mind about having a relationship with Jesus Christ. This immutable and irrevocable fact may contradict the thoughts placed in your head by God's enemy, Satan, who contends that God is always looking for ways to come down on you. So my question for you is this. Are you saved? Second, God wants you to know the truth. So God provides you with the Bible, which contains the absolute truth, his exact thinking. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 say this. There are many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, the Bible. But these things written here in the Bible have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God in human form, and that by believing in him, you may have the resurrection life in his name. Do you know the truth? Especially the truth about who God is as a person and the truth about what he has done for you? Maybe you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you don't think he is God. Maybe you don't think the Bible is is his exact thinking. Maybe you don't even think you need to be saved. 
The Bible says that being saved, salvation, is exactly what all humans need from the moment of physical birth. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, At physical birth all mankind was born spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's everyone who comes to earth, every human being, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. The Bible says all who are spiritually dead need to be saved. They need spiritual life. And the Lord Jesus Christ volunteered for the task of saving you. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 say this, God the Father, being rich in mercy because of his great unconditional love with which he loved us all, even when we were spiritually dead in our transgressions, how many of you love your enemies? The Father made us believers in Christ spiritually alive and placed us into union with Christ through the baptism of the Spirit by his grace. You have been saved by his kindness. You have been saved. When you were spiritually dead, as ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers, here's what God the Father gifted to you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind, and that while we were yet sinners, as spiritually dead, ungodly, unrighteous unbelievers, Christ died as a sacrifice for us. You should have gone to the electric chair. He went in your place. That's what the cross is all about. Well, who is this God that saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, the gospel message, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice, right where you sit right now, you can have eternal life. It's about a three-second decision. Eternal life, the resurrection life, by taking the suggestion in Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. You would do well also to heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. If you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, eternity will not go well for you. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells you who saves you. There is salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to work to be saved. It's a free gift from a gracious God. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says the Lord Jesus Christ saved us. Not on the basis of deeds that we have done in self-righteousness but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. There is no excuse if you come to Barah Ministries to not know 
how to be saved. It is so simple. And why? It's simple. Because God does the saving for you. All you have to do is invest your gift of faith, a gift you received from this loving God, and place that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation. Do it now. There is no time to waste. All right, we close with music. Nothing we idolize is as great as the Lord, according to Jeremiah 10, 6, which says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name, and there are none that compare to you in might. Here's June Murphy to sing about the great shepherd, our mighty counselor, our prince of peace, in in the song, How Great Thou Art. When I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds our hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the Sings my 
Say I was going to compliment you and say how great thou art to get me through the song without choking. And then here you go, coughing, right? <laughs> Just killed my line. Let's close in prayer. Almighty God and Father, we thank you for the tribulation that you've given us. And it's nothing new. You give us tribulation all the time because you want to produce in us perseverance. Because you know that perseverance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. A hope that does not disappoint because it is a hope that is built on the rock. Your son, our Lord, the Savior, Jesus Christ. As we go out into the world this week to put one foot in front of the other, we ask that you open our spiritual eyes and you help us to see your hand in everything that's going on in this situation. We ask you to open our spiritual eyes so we see that you are controlling everything that happens in this situation. We ask you to open our ears, our spiritual ears, so we listen through biblical ears and we don't get dissuaded and betrayed and deceived by the fake news and the fake uh, messages that are being sent about our demise being imminent because we as believers in Christ know that you have given us the victory through the cross, through your son, and we look forward to celebrating that fact in a couple of weeks. We ask for your continued sustenance, your continued blessing, your continued abundance through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.